Welcome to a bonus episode of Tuna on Toast. Out of left field, got this email. Striker, do you know who the band The Record Company is? Yes, I do. You want to have them on? Yes, I do. Even the bonus episode, it's brought to you by Hamer Toyota. I don't think they even know that they're sponsoring the bonus episode as well. They're out there in Mission Hills in Southern California. They're a car dealership. I've worked with them for right around eight years. They treat their customers so well, and they are extremely loyal. And I'm the prime example. We worked together for eight years when I was on the radio. I left the station, started up the podcast, and they said, let's continue the working relationship. Without them, I would have never got this podcast off the ground as fast as I did. Or if I did get it off the ground, you'd have to pay for this podcast. And who would pay for this podcast? Maybe nobody. H-A-M-E-R, HamerToyota.com. Let's get to the record company. Here we go. Your name is Stryker? Yes, it is. That's fire. <laughs> wow. I love sandwiches. It's called tuna on toast. I, I, I spit. I don't know what I'm doing. I love music and I love those that created it. Stryker's here. Tuna on toast. Yes. Tuna on toast. Welcome to a bonus episode of Tuna on Toast featuring the record company. I'm going to start with this. Don't close your eyes if you're driving, but if you're at the gym or you're on a hike, just close your eyes for a second. I'm in my studio, which is our guest bedroom at home. That's the Tune On Toast studio. I am wearing the large, like an XXXL Fruit of the Loom white t-shirt that I got from Target. And I am in an XXL size boxers. That's all I'm wearing right now. I already did the conversation with the guys from the record company. But then I realized, hold on. I want to do this intro and get this on as a bonus episode because in three hours from right now, I'm going on my first airplane in two years, going to Las Vegas. I'm going to play the Wheel of Fortune slot machine until my number two finger, the pointer finger, falls off from pressing Wheel of Fortune. And I'm going to see System of a Down. I cannot tell you guys how much I appreciate the support on this podcast. If you don't know too much about the record company, you are going to love them as humans and love their music. They're a Grammy-nominated band. They're unbelievably talented. They've got a great story. If you know of the band, the record company, and you're just hearing of me for the first time, I apologize if my voice is not the best. Um, you're going to love hearing from the guys. I thought it was just going to be Chris and I, but as you'll hear, Mark jumps on as well. So let's get to it. Bonus episode, Tuna on Toast with the record company. Test, test, test. Hello, hello. Good, Chris, how are you? Good, man, good, good. It's just you and I going to roll through this? Our drummer Mark's joining here in a sec. Oh, he is? Any second now. Cool. There's Mark. Recording in progress. Hello, Ted Stryker. Wow, what a great background you have there. This is my little uh, studio slash getaway room house in the back it looks really really good well i'm getting right into this right now Let's all right it. i am so excited to welcome 66 percent of the record company i'm starting off with an apology if that's okay sure that's different my friend named Corey Irwin back in 2013 went to see you guys go play at satellite mm -hmm. and when he got home pretty late he was texting me like crazy like you gotta see this band they are the best band i can't believe how fired up i am right now and I totally dropped the ball like an idiot. And it wasn't until the last year or so 
where I'm like, oh my God, these three guys are so good. So I'm sorry that I'm late to the party, but I'm on board now. Anytime you get to the party is good with us. I want to rewind a little bit before we get to Play Loud, because I have questions since you're somewhat new to me. I'll start with you, Chris. Are you from LA? Are you from the East Coast? Where are you from? From Wisconsin. I grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin, and then I moved to Milwaukee okay. uh, for a good long time. And uh, then I moved out here in 2010, met Mark and Alex in 2011-ish, uh, 2010 going into 2011, and that's when we formed the band. When you got here, though, in 2010, were you coming out here by yourself? Did you know, like, okay, I know where I'm going. I've got tons of money in my pocket. Like, what was your situation when you came out here? I was broke, as a joke. Uh, and, uh, I came out here, I was already married and, um, my wife, uh, had gotten an opportunity to work uh, at the LA times. And, uh, I had never had any intention of moving to Los Angeles. Um, Mm. I wanted to, but I was just like, I guess I was like a lot of other people. I just was like, it didn't seem like that was a place that I would thrive. I was like, I'm just a, you know, a normal dude, like play my music. And, uh, uh, it, and I'm glad I was wrong. (laughs) It ended up working out, but she, she got the job and I just was like, all right, if you go out there, of course, I'm coming with you. We're married. And uh, if I'm going to go, I'm going to do the best I can. I might as well take a run at music out there because I was doing music in the Midwest and I'd kind of settled into it, you know, um, but it certainly was I wanted it for a career, but it wasn't at that time. I was, you know, teaching guitar students I owned a guitar studio and. When I came out here, oh, I wow. just went full gusto for it. So I started working odd jobs and uh, <laughs> and trying to play music and got in bands right away. That is so cool. Your wife gets the job out here. You're, yeah. of course, as you said, you're married, but you're cool enough. You know, I'm going to give up everything here. I'm going to go there. Yeah. And was number one, was at the top of your list was... I'm going to take music more serious than I've ever taken it before. Once we get there, I'd always, it was always the center of my life. It was the center of my career in life. I always considered that there was no other choice for me, but to be involved in music. However, so I don't know if I took it more serious, but I took, I took the opportunity to do it in a band live. Um, I'd always taken that serious, but it seemed more real when I got here as a possibility, because that's what everybody around me was trying to do out here. Did it seem super competitive to you when you got here? Like, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it it was uh, definitely, but it was also, um, I stuck out like a sore thumb because I'm like, you know, Midwest guy likes play rock. But the bottom line is I stuck out like a sore thumb and I thought that would be a bad thing and ended up being a really good thing. Um, so, um, I just, you know, you can't help but be who you are. So I just, I got into bands right away because I could sing and I play a bunch of weird instruments like lap steels, pedal steels. And uh, that got me into some bands, but I ultimately wanted to be in my own band. And that was the goal. Mark plays drums in the band, The Record Company. Where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up uh, upstate New York, a town called Elmira. We have a prison. Okay. And Mark Twain is buried there. And then, uh, yeah, so I grew up there and <clears throat> started my first band when I was probably 12 years old, something like that. You know, it was one of those situations where supportive mom and dad, uh, my mom driving the band around in the station wagon. One of my first gigs I remember was like in some church basement, but it wasn't a church gig. <laughs> we, we actually opened with Slayer's Raining Blood. No! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I ever told you that, Chris, but yeah, I was thinking about that today. I'm like, what was like my first gig I remember? At? <laughs> um, needless to say, we weren't invited back for a, a follow-up, but, um, and then I went to college, uh, you know, always had bands and everything. Went to college in Pennsylvania mm. where I met Alex, who's the, uh, other 33rd and a third percent of, right. of the group. Um, and then after that, he, he moved right to LA and I 
wasn't quite sure. I mean, we had, we had bands together in college, you know, and we were doing that, but that was like, did you have any traction when you were playing in college and what school were you guys at? Uh, we went to a school called Bucknell. Okay. I've heard of Bucknell. Central PA. Yep. Um, I, I wouldn't say traction. It was more like a fun thing, you know, playing fraternities and there was like one bar in, in the college town. And if you could get a gig there, you had to play like four hours. One of those things. You know? <laughs> we knew like three songs. Right. Like, right, let's just do like an hour shakedown street by the dead. And that should cover like the first set. Um, and then Al moved out here. I actually had a friend in school at, in uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, outside of Nashville. He was there for audio engineering. And he was like, it's pretty fun down here, dude. And I just didn't know quite just yet where I was headed. You know what I mean? So I just moved down there and I thought, oh, Nashville could be cool. And tried to start bands, but it was at a time when it was, <clears throat> now it's like super band friendly. But my opinion then was it was more centered around uh, studio work. Mm. And I'm just not a studio cat. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have the drum gloves and like all that stuff. It's, I wanted to be in a band. And so that was tricky. Started a couple bands, but uh, ultimately got re in touch with Alex, who was out here. And he was doing some stuff and it kind of inspired me. He's like, actually, dude, my roommate is moving. Uh, and I was like, sweet, I'm out. And I just like loaded up and same, had no money, anything. But uh, and I remember I got here and uh, my sister actually lives here as well. Okay. Um, but I didn't know anybody except Alex and her. And the day I arrived, Alex was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to quit drinking for a while. Um, I'm just taking a break. No, not because of any problem or anything. He's just like, he just does this from time to time. Right. I was like, but I don't have any friends, man. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? You know? um, but long story short, we he had a music project going. I joined that. I was playing keys with him and he was playing guitar. Um, so we gave that a whirl for a bit. And then started another group, uh, just the two of us. And that lasted a few years, but it was one of those things where even though we were, we loved the music we were doing, it was, a, it was quite different from uh, the record company, but we were into like air and Mogwai, like, oh. uh, sort of uh, explosions in the sky. You know, you know, like I guess they call it like post-rock at the time. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Long meandering instrumentals of 20 minutes sonic adventures and it's it basically describing it sounds like a tenacious d what sounds very cool about the both of you that i recognize i believe from the music and just the short amount of time we've hung out together is you're not you're playing the music you want to play that makes you happy whether it's the three of you or your previous yes. bands that you had this is what i like this is what excites me don't tell me how to do it and you're going to do it that way so chris alex and mark are living together alex doesn't have any cocktails at the time mark's looking for friends how in the world did you three then, how did you find these two? Uh, well, at the time, I was pretty desperate to find players, and that was something that was really challenging at that time. Um, uh, my life would have been a lot easier if Uber had existed, for instance. I could have gotten a job then, but I was like working for moving companies and, and anything I could do uh, to make a little ends meet, <laughs> and then going out with bands that didn't pay anything. And I put up a, uh, at the suggestion of uh, Val, my wife, she said to put up a Craigslist ad, which I thought was just bananas. Like, that's a crazy thing to do. But I had remembered as a kid reading this story about uh, Guns N' Roses answering some ad and getting together. So in my back of my head, I was like, well, I guess it occasionally works out, you know, put it up and uh, Mark, uh, Alex saw it. He was like at that moment where Mark and Alex's band had kind of come to an end 
and they were both contemplating. They'd been out here for a while and had been contemplating like ending, going on to a different career. You know, mm. it's like maybe I'll do this for fun. I'm kind of sick of the LA scene and doing, trying to make it in uh, in this city. And I came in, and um, when Alex answered the ad, uh, we got uh, we got along really well. And I I we uh, we've been a band for ten years now, so I. Right. I know Alex like a brother at this point and Mark, and uh, we've been through a lot. And I can say this, this is so not the way it would normally go that it's a miracle it ever happened. He liked it. We got on the phone. He, he was like, all right, he, because the ad, my, my wife helped me write it. She like made it me sound way cooler <laughs> than I really was, but he got interested, but he was very disappointed right. to find out that I was a dude with nothing going on, but desperate need to start a band. But I sent him some of my music from my other bands. And he liked it. So he calls me one night and says, hey, man, you want to come over? We're having some beers and we're going to listen to some records. And so I went and listened to some records with him. Mark came by. They, Mark was in a front house. They had moved to, we're living in different houses, but Mark lived in a front house. Alex lived in a back house. The house Alex lived in is ultimately the house we made our first record in uh, oh. and, and formed a band in. They give it back to you? Give it back to you, record. You made that, that in the house? Yes, uh, by ourselves with Alex producing and mixing and Mark and I kind of looking over his shoulder. So yeah, give it back to you record we made completely on our own. When we got signed, uh, we named ourselves a record company because we figured nobody would ever sign us <laughs> in this town. So we're like, we'll just cut out the middleman. And then when we finally got signed, we're like, okay, well, hey, you know, it was kind of like a punk rock thing we we're trying to do. We we're just like, ah, well, you know, we'll be the record company. And then uh, uh, we, when we got signed, we handed over the record and the label was like, oh, cool. And they never asked us where we recorded it. So we were like, great. And so they will put it out as is. There were like very minimal notes. It's like, oh, we'll turn the kick drum up a little here and there. And so that record is and the song off the ground that ultimately number one. Yeah. Hit number one. And and the album got nominated for Grammy and all that stuff (laughs) in our living room in 2011, 20. Well, 20. Excuse me. I'm getting the timeline wrong. 24, 2015. And then it came out in 2016. You know, so many artists of any age when they are trying to get maybe a deal to help themselves out to like get the music out there and get a tour going will adapt to what the record label small or big what they want you guys made this album this first album which had a few songs go top five top ten grammy nominated how did this label that you signed with find you and were they cool from the get-go like guys however you're doing it we like it i uh throughout the years out here in just oh yeah how everybody does hustling trying to find projects and everything managed to get a project uh i was pitching it to some different labels and stuff it was more like this jazz kind of funky found tapes from the 60s kind of thing um so i went around I, it was so cool i got i went to blue note and a couple other places but ultimately met the, the people at concord and they were super cool and they're like yeah let's do this let's put it out it wasn't a big pressure you know like needs to sell That's hundreds great. of thousands of copies kind of great. thing um, and then they let me, uh, their history is pretty interesting. They started as kind of this very small West coast, uh, jazz label in the seventies. And there was a lot of focus on Latin jazz. So their catalog is all this, like, you know, Cal Jader, Mongo, Santa Maria, Guido Puente, like all that kind of stuff really, but like the seventies stuff. So it's like greedy and cool and not, not all eighties polished quite just yet. Right. So they opened up that vault, let me do a remix of that. So I was like tracking down like, oh, Mixmaster Mike and Mario C from the Beasties. like, And they all agreed to do it because this was like some sacred stuff that hadn't been touched. And um, so I did that record for them. And we just stayed in touch. I made friends over there over the years. But then fast forward a good eight 
plus years later when we started this band, um, you know, I just casually sent over some of the early recordings we did to the, uh, one of my friends over there. And he's like, there's something here, dude. I, I don't know what it is, but, you know, so we just kind of kept in touch. But it wasn't for uh, maybe four years after that, right, Chris? I forget. Like, we got a gig. Yeah, we, we got our, a gig. Yeah, our first big tour was with uh, Brian Setzer. Wow. And this was, like, nationwide, playing theaters, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and he's, he's always going to be the coolest guy in the room. So you're walking in like, yeah, I don't know how much confidence I got. You got Brian Setzer right here. No matter how cool I thought my hair looked, <laughs> you'd walk in and go, I look like an idiot. You know, like he's yeah. just going to win that battle of everything. And uh, so that was really cool. But get, getting to see him play, I, I knew he was a great guitarist. I didn't realize the level of like virtuoso that that guy is. So that was a musical education as well. But the cool thing was we were playing the Fox in uh, Detroit, yep. which is a beautiful, like 5,000 seater. It was packed and it's a rock and roll crowd in Detroit, as I'm sure you know. Yep. And we just had a great set. We would go out and sign our stuff, our little EPs that we brought with us, like at the table. And there was just this line, like a yeah. Disneyland roller coaster ride line. Yeah, they had ropes up and stuff. It made, it made us look real good then. And the Fox cool. Theater helped oh. us that night. Yeah, it looked cool. And then there happened to be... <sighs> Concord sent some reps from, I think, uh, Cleveland or something to come up and see the show. And uh, that so that helped. And then ultimately, we played a show in L.A. Uh, at the Regent where John Burke, who was the head of uh, the label at the time, was there. And he just came backstage and it was kind of old school, man. It was like, yep. boys, let's do it. Handshake. And yep. we're like, you guys are great. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> we want to sign your band. You know? And I shook his hand and I said. Sounds good to me. We shook his hand. I said, let's let the people who make the paperwork make the paperwork. And we worked that. It took you know, a little time to get that together. And then we signed it and we were off. That is off so cool. Wow. Chris, somewhat of a personal question, but um, I'm very, very curious. So your wife is really doing well in LA and that's why you guys come here. Mm -hmm. You have this new band and now all of a sudden it goes from, ah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a struggling musician. I'm trying to make it. And it's really happening for you guys. Honey, I have to leave the house and go on the road. It things was there any did it create any tension in the relationship or did it improve uh, it? It created absolutely none because she was the one that saw me when I was, you know, just in college. We've been together since college and she saw me play at an open mic and she was like from the moment we met she was like this is what you're supposed to do. She believed in me more than I believed in me and uh, <sighs> so it no, there was no uh there was no and it was a great one of the greatest moments for me was was proving myself kind of wrong and proving her kind of right. You know, um, I believed in myself. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I'm I'm Midwest and Wisconsin. We're, we're humility is just and 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 just keeping your ego as low as you can, especially outwardly. Even if you do believe in yourself, is is just it's not like even a thing. It's just the thing. You know, it's it's a way you're taught to be it's like keep it down keep, and that's the opposite of kind of like what i've seen work out here in some respects you know so uh, it was great to to give that back and to people like i had supportive parents too my dad farmer my mom a nurse uh, neither of them could do anything to help me in the business other than let me borrow their van when i was you know like mark was saying you know um and and just say go for it you know uh and it's great it was great to to you know my grandpa don who's a, was a farmer passed away right after we got our number one and uh he uh he one of my last conversations with him he said uh and i knew he was sick he's he knew it and he was a musician too uh off the side when he wasn't farming 
And he said, I'm proud of you. And that meant, uh, that to me was, that was it, man. That was, that was, that meant more to me than almost anything else that happened was those personal connections of people who had believed in me a long time and to be able to look them in the eye and go, we're not crazy people. We did it. Yeah. You know? So that was a great, <clears throat> that was a great feeling. So good. God, what's so inspired just hearing all of these things. Album number one does great. You have to go make album number two, all of this life. Did you guys ever get in your own heads getting into this second album? Like, oh my God, things are going so great. What the hell are we going to do now? What was it like? We didn't have time. Okay. I don't mean to jump in there, Mark, but we didn't have time to get in our own heads. I think the only thing that album, I love that album. Uh, we wrote it basically between road gigs and, and everything. So we didn't really have as much time with it as we wanted, but we still came out with, you know, it's a, a life to fix was a number song that, that, uh, yeah, yeah. Number one yes, song. Got the, he putting up the number one. You can that, see, you can say it and then I can agree with right. the Midwest way. But yes, <laughs> that song hit number one. And, uh, so that album was great. And then the play it loud record was really awesome that we're doing that we're about to put out. That was amazing. Cause we actually had so much time, uh, because of not being able to do anything else, which sucked but one of the only bright spots in a very crappy year for the whole world and us was that we got a lot of time to write this record and, and get it, give it the time we never, we hadn't been able to give uh, the second record. These video that I love um, and the song that I love, and I love a lot of the songs, but I want to start off. Let's talk about the new record, how high. So it's the single comes out and the video is unbelievable. Very smart, very well done. And the song is doing really well. When you're sitting there late at night, Mark, you're by yourself at home. Do you ever go, oh, God, thank God. It's things, it's, it's maybe, it sounds like the record company. It's a hint, maybe different, but it's working. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the Chris camp as far as just being like, we're pretty humble dudes. So, every, you know, anything, of course, when you put it out, you have no idea. And people will talk, I think this could be the one or this. And it, I think we've gotten pretty good at just kind of like, okay, you, you want the support from people around you and all that, but it just really only matters. Like, are we proud of the thing we did? And I hope it resonates, but there's, there's really no, I don't. Yeah. I mean, we keep ourselves up at night making this record. There was plenty of sleepless nights and yes, worry and all that, of mm. course. But um, I mean, when it came to something like, like Chris was saying, we've never had the, the opportunity to like have an album in the can. And now we've got all this time to come up with what do we want to do visually, videos, little things. We did a whole side EP of covers, you know, in that time. But the approach to the video was just there was a golden era to me, up to us, of music videos, which was sort of the 90s, right? Bands in the 90s. You, you had great stuff in the 80s, for sure. But... To me, that was, you know, I'm I'm a 90s kid growing up. And so like, so we're kind of like, let's just nod to that, man. And we hooked up with uh, this director, Nathan Cox, and his partner, uh, his producing partner, Corey. And they had, he came over to do the sort of quote unquote pitch. We already knew we wanted to work with him. But right? uh, so he just came over to my house where we all met. We're having some drinks and uh, we come back to this room. Remember this, Chris? And he like. Yes. Can I hook into your Apple TV or whatever? How do I play stream something? And I'm like, okay. And he just like hit play and it was just title cards of each scene. I, I can't even explain this, but we sat there. We're like, oh my God, dude, this is amazing. Like, and he's narrating it and he's like all energy. And the right. songs playing at the same time, you know? So yeah, it, was it was like, yeah, 
you could visually the eye of the mind was was wide open and and it was amazing you know and after having done the produce you know it was great to get the album was produced by Dave Sardi. Yes. Who did like Oasis, LCD Sound System, New Modest Mouse Wolf Record. Mother as well. Wolf Mother. Yeah. Red Hot Chili Peppers, One Hot Minute, even way back in the day. That was like one of his first projects he was on. And um, so having we, this sound of this album is we're very insular. We did as as you would be. You know, we did everything. We we're all very like, we'll do it ourselves. We can do it ourselves. We can do it ourselves. And then after 10 years of that, we're like, we're out of moves. We've got <laughs> we've got songs. But you know, we, we when we demo, right, Mark, when we demoed, that's your line. Mark goes, I got no more moves. I'm sick of my moves. We need somebody to get us some new moves. And it's like, you know, you can't have been doing the same steps for, for, for a while. And it's like, that works. First record, you establish who you are. Second record, you expand it. Third record's time to challenge yourself and grow, I think. And that's what we learned looking at bands like that we admire you know springsteen says watch your heroes they'll teach you how to do it right mm. you know stones now is blues blah 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 and then but you get to let it bleed it's like there's a progression of of things happening there and it's like you can learn that so we were we were talking about that and uh this el- sound of this album is what happens when you take the energy of dave sardi which summing him up in a couple sentences is dave sardi vastly experienced huge personality way over the top like excited when he's in it and he's honest he will not let anything get past the goalie like he's we're that way too it's like if he had an idea we didn't like it we'd be like nah and if he had an idea or we had an idea he didn't like it'd be like nah i'm buying it that's how you make things better right instead of getting all hurt feelings it's like but wasn't that uncomfortable at times but which can lead to something great like sometimes when i feel uncomfortable doing a any of my little super small things. I'm like, I have such a stomach ache. I can't sleep. But then I get through it. I'm like, thank God someone kind of guided me to go in this direction. I don't think it was uncomfortable. It was, it was chat. It was uncomfortable in the fact that you knew you had to dig deeper, but it was like, you knew that his intent, he was losing sleep on this record. Just like, wow. So you knew that that was happening, but the sound of this record is Dave Sardi. This is him in a, in a nutshell. He's, he's a jet engine. He's either sitting on, the tarmac waiting to go 600 miles an hour or he's going 600 miles an hour through the sky and you are on that ride and if you're not ready to go 600 miles an hour with him if you're not buckled up you're going to be thrown out the back of the plane you know it's like so when he answers texts he answers answers them with whole attention you know when he listens to something there's nothing else in the world other than listening and that was a great lesson i think of focus and and energy and he held us to, wouldn't you say, Mark, he held us to a high accountable, like he, he elevated our songwriting, he elevated our sound. He, he was like, throw the idea of being a three piece out the window, make the record you want to make. Wow. And that was, so we brought us, so like, oh, let's put a bunch of keys on it. Let's do all this other stuff. What, what do you think, Mark? Uh, you well, think it's funny, yeah, because I was, I've been listening to that, uh, the Metallica podcast about the Black Album, like 30th anniversary. And it's really, I love it. Like Metallica to me is, you know, growing up like the big four albums, you know what I mean? And me too. And <laughs> as so, well, I love those first four Metallica records. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, I'll listen to this, you know, of course. And they, there's a, I think it's like the second one they, is when they talk about going in with Bob Rock, who's the guy who produced the record. Sure. And, you know, we had never had a producer. It was Alex in his room. And then, you know, we would record our stuff. Chris and I go home. Al would send mixes, you know, he's doing all the editing and stuff like that. But we had never had like a formal, you know, producer. This is the, what this person does for a living as 
as Costanza says, they're men with jobs. Jerry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've never really had that, you know, and hearing the, and the, the Metallica story is like, they had a producer, this guy Fleming who had done those four albums, but it was really Lars and James kind of doing it all. And then to go in with Bob Rock and just to hear sort of uh, that similarity and like the, it's hard letting somebody new in when you're just like, I mean, we wanted to do it. I think that was a a difference, but like at first you're kind of like, Oh, we don't really know this person. You know, we, we sat down a couple of times and hung out, but we've, we've known each other for almost 10, you know, 10 years now. Who are you? You know? And like, but that went away super quick and he he built like this. It was just a very comfortable place to be and have an opinion and try stuff. I mean, I think we tracked, most of the stuff, drums, bass, and guitar live, like we always did, which I love doing, you know, no clicks, no click tracks in it. Like, let's just play. Speeds up, slows down, that's human. That's a rock band to me, you know. Some of those great Stones records where the tambourine is so off, and you're like, that's got to be on purpose because it's so cool, you know. Like, um, But yeah, we did it the same way we always did it, but then it was kind of like, all right, now try this or try that. But he wasn't sitting there with like, a dictatorial hand like hit the kick drum three times and you know stuff it was just like ideas everywhere and it was super fun damn you guys are pros man i'm like learning so much from you guys you guys are total pros and letting this dude in the room and then being like listening and the four of you now doing this album together the song gotta be moving um and it's a great video as well is that at all i may have seen this I, beastie boys inspired yes or no on that chris well uh we love the beastie boys huge fans um you know the license to ill paul's boutique hello nasty is one of them gravitate more towards you check your head check your head there we go really crushed me yeah when i was a kid uh nl communication um the beastie boys well well, the guitar riff sounds like an old sample that you would hear on like a like one of those again 90s like cypress hill records or something where they just would have that repetitive like pentatonic minor riff you know and it's like that was when I heard that riff, uh, Alex wrote it actually, and he sent it. He's really he's our bass player, but he's also a great guitar player. And he and I come from two different schools of thought. Like I come from a more like uh, a punk, aggressive, like you know, but loving muddy waters, loving like junky old like stuff like that, nasty. Oh, Chris, and, uh, I'll put it this way, quick guitar wise. At the end of a show, Chris's guitar will be on the stage with no strings left in a smoldering heap of destruction. Alex's guitar will be neatly placed on the stand, yes. shimmering, waiting for its next, you know, David Gilmore. Is, is, is that a fair comparison, Chris? I, I think, yeah, I, I'm just, yeah, I'm, uh, you're exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, and it, it com- they complement each other, you know, so it's, it's, uh, it was, it was time. We needed another, uh, voice from the guitar in this band, uh, on this record. And his voice had, we'd been, it was like holding back an ace card, mm. you know, it, it just, he, we knew he was had it. And so he came up, he just got really hot writing, um, he, at the right time. And he just kept sending stuff and it was like, yes, that's great. Yes, that's great. Yes, that's great. So that riff was that. And then the big beat thing, like, I think even in that, um, this was this the track where he, I think there were a couple of he had this a big room for the drums. Then he had a Dave had a small little tight room that like he did the like the LCD sound drums uh, sound system drums in that like it's a real drum kit, but he can almost made it sound like an eight oh eight if he wanted because he was just had such manipulation yeah, over. It was just an ISO like 
yeah punchy ass room and the kit was like an 18 kick so not to get too nerdy about it but your normal drum set that you'd see is like a 22 inch kick drum john bonham's is a 26 it basically looks like a concert yeah. mark or a bass drum right disappear then, behind it <laughs> yeah but then like the the smaller you get the more tighter and punchier so he had this 18 inch kick just a snare and a hi-hat and that was it yeah. And that was our sort of dance room. So anytime we wanted to do something like more in that LCD talking heads kind of vein where the drums are not doing a whole lot, they're just smacking in those fills. I definitely nod my head to talking heads a lot on, on some of those fills that are just simple, but to me as effective as I could be. Um, so that one we did, actually we did both. I did the punchy room and then in the live room, I had a 26 inch kick, just a big sounding kit. And so I think we tried that, but I don't really remember which was which on that. But um, yeah, what I like about it, it has that sort of 808 under under drive. But then there's like the middle parts that I think get a little beastie is like the, the, the musical parts. I don't know, the turnarounds and stuff reminds me of like I went to see them once at a, I think it was like the old Gibson Amphitheater here at Universal. Yeah, City. Universal Gibson Amphitheater. Yeah, the Beastie Boys played there. I saw them play there. I've seen them play there. Yeah, I think that was the show where they, it was like two sets, but the second they came out in suits and ties just and did instrumental. Yeah. Like, that was the dope of shit. And I'm like, uh, yeah, okay. Um, I don't need to be sold anymore. But like, so that's always kind of been an, an inspiration for us too, is like, how do you make that cool? How do you, how do, you do it like they did? You know, and uh, I'll tell you a quick, story that is like a loose beastie story but uh alex and i were at bonnaroo just as fans for what turned out to be their last show ever okay right they headlined bonnaroo and then fast forward i don't know the exact number of years but we were playing main stage bonnaroo on the anniversary of that show and we come out and i'm like dude we were here this is where mca played you know last time we saw him and everything and we're debating before we go on. And, you know, it's main stage Bonnaroo is like a pretty big It's a big deal. I've been there. Yep, I've been yeah. there. And we're like, I think we got to play Sabotage, man. <laughs> <laughs> we hadn't played it in, in a while. No rehearsal or anything. We're like, all right, let's go. Chris, if you, you know, if you want to, if you feel so inclined, tell a quick little story. And, uh, and we went and the place just went bonkers. It was and you cool. nailed it without really rehearsing it, Chris? You guys as a, one, as a th one chord. And, yeah. and I'll never forget the lyrics, you know, but still, so, still yeah. main stage Bonnaroo. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. The two times we, we did that thing off the cuff. One was at red rocks. First time we played oh at red God. rocks and the yeah. other one was at Bonnaroo, like off the cuff. And we played it after we played it there, we did it a couple more times, but it was something where it was like, we didn't want to make it, you know, something that people, you got to watch it with stuff like that. It's like, uh, Dave Sardi, who said he's like, it's good to to have a little bit of candy, but you don't want to have it be like too much, you know. Here's yeah. the candy, you know. It's like, yes, you could play sabotage every night, but you know, in the end, you, you've written these songs, and we're not. We we've always been in original bands. I've always been in original bands. It's like you want to stand on your own songs, but yeah, that was a hell of a moment. I mean, that that felt amazing, and and that's what I've always loved about us. We're we're re we're just. We know enough to be safe, but we we also know enough about rock and roll to know that part of it is being reckless in, in, in a very important moment and doing something that's uh, could could be a disaster. Uh, we need that. You got to be able to take fly into that with complete. We're going to do this, you know. And if you face it that way, those can be some of the best parts of a show. Those can be some of the best parts of an album. Those can be the, some of the best parts of an interview. 
uh, anything, you know. God so, damn, I want that line. I'm taking that line and I'm going to send it to every single 12-year-old, 18-year-old who is forming a band or thinking about starting a band because that is great right there. Three albums in and it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger for you guys. Thank you for... Um, for joining the show. I, I appreciate that. And Mark, the, the name of this is Tuna on Toast because of Seinfeld. Nothing worked out for George when he ordered Tuna on Toast. Yep. I'm hoping the it opposite. works out for me. The, uh, just whatever your <laughs> chicken salad do, the opposite. That's yeah. right. <laughs> chicken salad on rye, I think. Oh, no. Mark and I have a very deep Seinfeld knowledge, the two of us. I mean, as a matter of fact, we get, we get so dorky that like, We've discussed what's the best characters and stuff that have just been it once. My personal favorite yes. is, is Timmy. You Timmy. know, the you put you, it's like putting your whole mouth in the dip. <laughs> just take one dip and end it. It's like that kid threw himself yeah. wholeheartedly into that that one and a half minutes on screen. Uh, just yeah. fantastic. A, a few, actually, a few years ago, uh, I know we got to jump, but uh, this is pre a few years ago, more than ten years ago, before this band. I was inventing ways to make money. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Right. Uh, I started, and I'm not kidding you, I have an Excel spreadsheet somewhere. I, I thought, I'm going to write a Seinfeld Trivial Pursuit and go pitch it to uh, <laughs> whoever, Parker, whoever makes Trivial right. Pursuit. I'm, and uh, yeah, I had the categories. I started doing it, and then I just stopped for some reason. But I, I'll, I'll track that down because I had No I doubt have, the moops would have been on there. Oh, the moops, moops of course. Not the moors. Yeah. Not, sorry, it's the moops. <laughs> moops. There's no moops. Nothing could be finer than whatever is in your diner. Like, I want to sign that autograph. <laughs> I want that autograph back. You can't have it. Yeah, no, we could do this. This could be a whole nother interview. Mark, yeah. I wrote a, a Seinfeld script all, all right. those years ago. I was a kid and I wrote it. And the plot was is there is an Easter bunny parade, uh, an Easter parade, and Kramer got the gig as the Easter bunny, but all he ate leading up to it were carrots. So he needed he needed Jerry to make a carrot cake. He's like, oh, I'm on carrot. And it was like, it was, I mean, I was like, I don't know, young, tw low 20s when I wrote it. I was living in Tucson, Arizona. I didn't give it to anybody, but I passed it off to my friends. They seemed to like it. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. So much for again for being on and congratulations on the career you guys have built. And as I said, it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And enjoy the ride. You're welcome to come on out uh November 22nd. We're ending the tour in LA. Terragram uh, Ballroom, is that right? Love to have you as our guest of honor. So. I'll be there. Thank you so much. Awesome. I'll be there. Take care. Thank you. Take care as well. Bye. That's another episode of Strikers Tuna on Toast. Promise it'll get better. Most likely. For sure. Maybe. Absolutely love those guys. That's it. That's the end of this episode. We did our first ever bonus episode. Hey, if you enjoyed it at all, it would be so cool and appreciated if you gave a friendly review and a five star wherever you get this podcast. Also, you can watch the interview because I filmed it. It's up on YouTube. Just go Ted Stryker Tuna on Toast. I'm all over social media as well. Are you going to remember any of this? Just use Google and type in a Tuna on Toast Striker and you can find everything. Tom Morello interview. Tom DeLong is out there as well. And every Tuesday, going to drop a new episode. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm leaving. Thank you so much again for the support. This has been Tuna on Toast.